Hello, and welcome to Pridecast, the official podcast of Hofstra Athletics. I'm Mike Neely. And I'm Stephen Gorchop. On episode 19 today, we chat with Hofstra Vice President and Director of Athletics, Rick Cole Jr., on a wide-ranging number of topics. We hope you enjoy. Go Pride. Hello, Hofstra fans, and welcome to Pridecast, our next episode. We are excited to be joined by Hofstra Vice President and Director of Athletics, Rick Cole Jr. And as always, I'm thrilled to be here with Mike Neely, uh, my co-host. Mike, uh, how you doing? Hey, Stephen. How are you? Doing well? Good. Rick, uh, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Doing great. Excited to be, be here with you guys again. Well, uh, let's get into it. Uh, Mike, uh, why don't you open us up here with uh, talking to uh, Rick Cole Jr. here. So, Rick, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, let's start at the beginning of all this. So kind of when everything started changing, you know, we came off a big men's basketball win, which we'll get to, uh, you know, we get home, get back on campus and everything starts changing rapidly. So kind of, why don't you just lead us off with what your initial thoughts were um, of everything happening and kind of how you manage your priorities amongst an athletic department? Sure. I think, well, like, like everybody else, you know, things happen, you know, pretty quickly, right? We were, we were experiencing the highest of highs after that win, um, you know, watching a great group of young men and coaches and, and, and just that have worked so tirelessly over years to, to earn something so special um, that the CAA championship was and, and the automatic qualifier to the NCAA tournament, just a great day for Hofstra. Um, you know, and, and the world, this is when it was just that evening, like we were very fortunate to get the tournament in because in the next couple of days is when things really got affected, right? Uh, that was a Tuesday night and Wednesday I got in the car and drove down to watch the women play and um, and there were rumblings again and that's when everything started right and we kept wondering what was going to happen and, and then the next thing you know you know NBA, NBA players are getting pulled off the court conference tournaments are come to a screeching halt and the announcement that the NCAA tournament would in fact not not happen and that our campus you know people would leave and, you know, it was around um, the spring break holiday. So it was a little bit. And then, you know, the priorities kind of went quickly to how do we help? What do we do to position, you know, be there for our student athletes um, first and foremost, and then our staff um, and how do we help them facilitate and manage through not only athletic um, interruption, but the academic interruption. And, and, and like, like always is the case, our student athletes boarded, they show up with record breaking um, performances academically and, um, you know, certainly was a very interesting time for all, but I'm really proud how our student athletes, coaches, and staff responded to a very, very difficult situation. Yeah, you kind of touched on it, how that first the first two weeks is kind of really what it's almost been the six months uh, managing uh, and kind of the, the new normal, as people have said. Uh, what has the six months been like for you as a leader, uh, and how have you had to kind of adapt to the changes and uh, manage both you know, staff, athletic programs, and really being a, uh, a a compassionate leader for the student athletes as well. Well, you know, we did the best we could, I think, at the time, Stephen. I think we, you know, we were quickly to get on Zooms and we were having weekly meetings with, uh, um, with our staff, full staff, weekly meetings with coaches, weekly meetings with our um, other staffs. We were having um, regular meetings with our student athletes, usually two contacts a week, at least by coaches and administrators and and then our academic folks. So, 
you know, it was a real, um, it was a real shift, right? And this is, I mean, you, you know, people have used the cliche, it's a new normal, it's a this, it's a that, but it was, it was really difficult and new for everybody. Um, you know, I mean, I went from a, um, I've, you know, now, you know, my youngest son was a senior and actually was taking a couple of college classes early. My two daughters were playing college and athletics. They came home and every, so personally, professionally, everybody experienced real challenging moments, right? Um, so you try to do the best you can to be a listener and not over, be over emotional. And you want to be that anyway, but I think this time more than anything, you kind of try to have to exhale and ask the question like we always try to do is, how do we help? What do we do today? And how do we try to prepare for the uncertainty of tomorrow? And you're just trying to not get kicked off the Wi-Fi when you're home. You laugh, but when you got five people on a Wi-Fi, <laughs> it was pretty interesting, right? And, <laughs> hey, I'm going on a Zoom. Hey, I'm on with the president. Hey, I've, I've got to make a presentation. Can somebody get off the Wi-Fi? It was just, it was chaos. Yeah, I have class at six, who has right. class at seven, right? That's amazing. So we've all kind of to, to wrap this up a little bit, we've all been forced to change, right? Like you, you, you mentioned, we've all been forced to change how we work, communicate, live, you know, similar to what you were just saying. So how is your then leadership style for the department? Um, you know, how have you changed that in terms of be almost being forced to change uh, in the midst of all this? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question, uh, Mike, and, and, and I guess some others might answer more honestly of how my leadership style changed, right? Um, you know, behind closed doors, we all try to have a really high expectation and challenge the heck out of ourselves and each other. Like, you know, it can be a, the best place to work and at times a holy cow, is it ever good enough place to work, you know? And, um, but we had us try to find, you know, to look through, you know, I, I learned an expression from one of my mentors about, you know, trying to change your lens as much as you can to see things from a different perspective, right? I think our goal was to be there and help position our student athletes for success, you know, we had we certainly had financial budgetary challenges, you know, revenues that were going to be shifting because of, of the pandemic. And and certainly we had expenditures that were shifting. And I think our staff really responded well there. Um, but I think the leadership was really just trying to empower other and make sure that we were communicating, over communicating and really trying to be sure that we were on the mark Um with letting people know as we knew information. And I think that some of the feedback we got, people were really pleased about the fact that they felt in the know, even if it was a question mark. Um, but that was a shared accomplishment by our, our leadership team and by, by our staff. And, um, you know, but I'd be interested to see what others thought. And I'm not asking you to, but it would be interesting if there was some kind of confidential survey that says, all right, how did they do during the leadership? I'm not answering, Rick. Sorry. That's a good decision, Stephen. Thank you. <laughs> so, so before we get into the next area, what, what's the one thing you've done more during the last six months than you ever thought you would do in your life? Whether it was, you know, walking with your wife, uh, hanging out, cooking dinner. What, what was the one thing you're like, wow, I really did that a lot over the last six months? Well, yeah, I think you just I think you just hit two of the the, the big ones. Um, uh, you know, I'm um, I don't, I'm not really proud of this, but it, it's pretty factual. Like being home two days in a row just never happened, you know, and trying to be a participatory dad as best you can and coaching the kids and running to the kids games. I, we had three kids in three years and my wife is busy running, you know, you know, the, the club that the kids were in. And I'm working in higher ed, which you guys know. And as you're working in any form of external, I mean, you just burn. Um, 
So it was a difficult, you know, I had to fake it for everybody else, but my first nine days were brutal um, because you want to help people. And when you don't know exactly how to help and you can't go out and, you know, it's, it was, it was an interesting place for me. We've never really had um, our family home, right? So everybody's always on the run, competing, training, playing, going to school. And all of a sudden now we've got all five of us under the roof and now they're young adults under the roof. So as, as much as there were peaks and valleys, you know, we kept trying to find, we got to that point where we said, all right, let's try to find the good in this bad. Um, so we cooked a lot. I cooked, I really enjoy cooking. I never oh, get you, to. Oh, you do or Brooke does? I love to cook. Um, and my, my menu um, has expanded. So I used to be able to do like these X amount of meals really well. Grilled now cheese. That, yeah, well, I actually do cook an, a mean grilled cheese. Um, <laughs> my wife just says I spoil them. Like just because they say they're hungry doesn't mean you have to make it. But um, I actually enjoy it. Um, and, you know, it was fun to do because we did it with uh, my kids too. And even now, like one of my kids just texted me yesterday about – I'd never done eggplant parm because I wasn't a big egg. Like, it's not that I wouldn't eat it. It's just, you know, I just never did it. Right. So now she's making eggplant plant parm and we do, you know, the chicken franchise and, you know, we do all these different meals that we really just never did and got really into fish and um, different meals there. I've always killed steak for the record and my sauce is to die for, but you know, um, right. you're pretty um, boastful we, about the food. I don't, I, don't I was going to say, <laughs> I'm only kidding, but that's, and then my wife and I, um, it's really been a blessing because we walked a lot and, um, you know, you get to really, you know, reconnect and, and with three kids going to college and having that empty nest that we just walked into two weeks ago. Um, I'm just really glad she likes me still. I was a 50, 50 shot going in, uh, to the, uh, quarantine, to the pandemic. Well, that, that's a perfect segue into our next topic, kind of talking about, uh, who you are and, uh, you know, you, you have deep, deep Long Island roots. You worked at a multitude of schools on Long Island and in the area. Uh, you grew up on Long Island. Uh, what, what makes Long Island so special to you as both the person and, the, uh, and as, as a leader in athletics at a school in Long Island? What, what's so special about it? Well, you know, it's just like, it's like Philly to you, Stephen, right? Like there's just something special that about right. it, right? And it's just something special about it. And, and I'll put our pizza and bagels up against your Philly cheesesteak seven days a week and twice on Sunday because we're just better, you know. Um, I'm going to interject there for a second because I think Long Island, not bad, a little bit different than a different island that's close by here where I'm from. Rick, Mike needs to shut up. Mike needs to shut up. You can continue. Right. This is about me, Michael. Um, So in all seriousness, you know, it's, you know, Long Island is such a unique place. There's a place for everyone. It's, um, you know, from extracurricular to diversity to, um, you know, there's just – it's like kind of New York City, I think, and some of the other boroughs that you just really find an eclectic taste, whether that's theater, sport, beach, beauty, um, you know, different, just different folks. And I think that's one of the best part about being from that New York metropolitan area is that you really get to experience whatever you may want to experience. Um, you know, so Long Island's an, an interesting place. You know, everybody, you know, most people that aren't from here don't realize that it stretches almost 120 miles. They're like, well, that's really big. Well, that's actually really long, but okay. Um, but it's just, you know, you, you, it really is a beautiful place, you know, and growing up here, um, there's a unique appetite for the collegiate property and collegiate sports. And I think that, you know, when we look at the Stony Brook, Hofstra, you know, the one in Nassau, the one in Suffolk, uh, you know, then you got St. John's that's, you know, always talks about being a city, even though that Queens is part of Long Island. 
Um, so there's, there's a really healthy competitive nature as well, which can be really fun. And we're finding that with the elevated, um, you know, rivalries and, and, you know, there's a, there's a respect we have for the likes of the Sunday Brooks and the, and the St. John's of course, and, and they have for us. So I think it's really a great opportunity to elevate that marketplace and, and give people a, an entertainment value um, and something really productive and positive to support. And, um, you know, we're just really thankful. Um, you know, we're, we're in hard times right now for sure. Um, really challenging, really unique. We've never seen um, on top of what it's like to deal with the day-to-day challenges, right guys? And, and so I think, you know, um, thankful that I get to do it at a place I call home. Um, really thankful. Yeah, well, you just named, you know, three of the four local area schools you worked at, Stony Brook, St. John's, obviously currently at Hofstra, and then also Iona, you know, most recently before Hofstra. So tell us what it was like having those Long Island roots, you know, being from here, being so ingrained here, knowing, you know, so many people in and around here, uh, how that kind of has, has, you know, furthered your career, what you learned from from each of the stops, uh, you know, and what it's been like to have your career, your successful career, be in this area where you grew up. You know, I think, guys, you guys know that our, our industry is really hard, right? And it's, you know, sometimes you have to move to elevate because there's not the opportunities to elevate uh, or advance in your career based on the institution you're at just because there's also other talented people that are in spots. You know, and it's not like we're a physical education teacher and you can go to all the different school districts on Long Island, right? Or be a high school AD and have so many more opportunities. You know, we didn't have a lot. We don't have a lot, right? Um, and, and most of my decision-making was based on my family, right? So I, I wanted to do as much as I can for my family to provide that opportunity that wasn't just all about me, you know? So like when I love Stony Brook, great place. We did great things in that transition to Division One. Then I went to St. John's, which was the Big East that gave me unique opportunities. And then at a fairly young age, at, I think I was 33, I became an AD at a Division II school for nine years where you want to talk about hard. Like we had to raise tons of money. We had to win. We had to create a media culture. And we did some really great things. Um, and our ability to have success um, at that place was what I think probably made me marketable for Iona that had a lot of demand to do a lot with less and not a huge budget and, you know, trying to be creative to still be successful in spite of obstacles. Right. So, and, you know, again, Iona, another great place, great people, but, you know, uh, Hofstra was home. And, and when that opportunity ever presented itself, it was one that I was, if, if they were interested in me, I, I had to talk to because it was Hofstra, you know, and, I love where I, it's, it's a pretty very, I don't take it for granted. I work with great people at Iona and I was very, very happy. It wasn't about Iona as much as it was about Hofstra and, and, and what it was to be home. Uh, so Rick, uh, obviously you had a long and storied history uh, on the personal level with the sport of volleyball. Uh, and it has kind of flowed into your children as well. You have three kids who all play volleyball collegiately um, what, I guess both the challenges, the positives, but can you kind of wrap us around that for the listener, what it's like having three kids in college, one, three kids in college who are all playing sports as well. And one's in California, one's in North Carolina, and one's in New York. What just kind of wrap our, all of our heads around that for you, for us. And you work in the industry. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the interesting piece, right? So, um, you know, 
when you're a type A personality, you often look at all the things you still need to do, need to do better, blah, 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 you know, but when you kind of take a pause and just, you know, think about how you just described it, Stephen, there's a lot of gratitude and, and you're just really appreciative and thankful that, hey, my kids are, you know, um, amazing human beings, you know, they are, they are good humans, caring humans, contributing humans, um, they're just amazing. B, I'm the fifth best athlete in the family, and it's well documented, right? So it's it's a little annoying, but you know, I guess that's pretty cool as well, right? Uh, you know, my wife was a stud <laughs> basketball player, Division One. My three kids play Division One volleyball, and you know, that just it, it's interesting because it's tough to balance. But that's who our family is, right? So we don't know better, um, and we just really we value the teammates that these my our kids are. We value how hard they work and how they're, they're, they certainly put a team first. And that they just have a love for the game. Um, the one thing we share, uh, there's not a whole lot of games that happen in our house over the years because the competitive spirit of the five of us is a little, um, how do I say this? We'll just leave it at intense. Um, so, uh, you know, and, you know, what was really interesting, Stephen, and, and you, I think you'll appreciate this, and I, I think you'll remember it, that, you know, my son was still in high school. And uh, but my two daughters had both qualified for the NCAA tournament, as did Hofstra. All yeah, three, same, same weekend. All three playing on the same day at the same time. One in California, um, one in Nebraska, right, Stephen? And one in Pittsburgh, right? And one in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, all at the same time. So crazy. We just kind of went zone and my wife went to one, I went to the other and we sent three of our administrators to, to volleyball. Unfortunately, we have somebody like Emily who's like, you better go to your daughter's games. Like, you know, like so, but it just, you know, and I, somebody said, I'm like, listen, this is the best problem I've ever had when it comes to volleyball. I got three of my teams playing in the tournament. So I had one, one on a laptop, one on an iPad and I was watching it all at the same time. So it was well, really that, that really selection cool. Sunday or whatever day yeah. that was had to be amazing. Like amazing. And if you remember Stephen, right, that's the first year, right? Wasn't the first year. Yeah. It's the first year I rolled off. Right. So, yeah. The first year I rolled yes. off the committee. So so that was really interesting because I was sitting there watching the draw. And, and let me tell you, I love those people that were still on the committee. I found out the same way everyone else did. It was so awesome. So uh, now transitioning into another area that has seen your family, seen a lot of success. And there's, no, there's a program in Hofstra that's in the midst of some incredible success. And we touched on them a little earlier. Uh, the men's basketball program here uh, over the last uh, eight years under Coach Mihalik's leadership has been um, just remarkable. It's been a remarkable turnaround. What they've done has been nothing short of amazing. Um, obviously, we wish Coach well, and I'm sure you, you might want to offer your uh, wishes here, but we want to we dig deep into the basketball program and uh, first get your thoughts and, uh, you know, offering Coach best wishes. Yeah, well, of course we wish Coach best wishes, and, you know, we're going to remain optimistic and positive and, and be there for him and his family when, you know, he's dealing with what he's dealing with. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very thankful that we have, you know, an incredible staff, uh, a men's basketball staff, and Joe, all, all, Joe, Joe always talked about this, how great his staff is, from Rachel Peel with academics, you know, um, Jimmy Waits, you, Stephen, you know, uh, Speedy, everybody, you know, Mike, Colin, you know, you know, they're all just so tireless workers that, that do everything they can to help these incredibly young men. And one of the things I've said when I talk to our basketball team, like the rest of us, I'm sure they're not perfect, 
but I like our team. They put the team first. They work hard. They were all in. They look to build each other up. The best players work the hardest. The best players try to be the leader and share. Um, you know, that's a really special place to be. And I, and I always believe that championships are won based on what you do day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And, and our culture has been pretty special since Coach Mahalik has gotten here. And he's, it's been a building block one year after another after another which is what breaks your heart about the fact these amazing young men didn't get the chance to do that, that dream of playing in the tournament, but in their hearts of hearts, they know what they, um, they know what they accomplished. And I liked our odds with that team. And now this year we're back at it. Yes. It was the first day of conditioning. So we're moving. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're optimistic cautiously, like we always are right in September. If you ask coach, he'd tell you we're the worst team in America. Right. Uh, you know, and of course, we're not the worst team in America, but coaches look through that lens of, oh, we've got so much to work on. We got to do this. If this goes right, we might be okay, but who knows, you know? And um, I'm really optimistic. I'm, I'm optimistic about the job they'll do until coach gets back. I'm optimistic about the effort and the excitement that these young men will bring to Hofstra. Yeah, we're all, we're all riding high, uh, you know, waiting for the next season now after how uh, last season ended. So, Rick, you know, as Stephen just mentioned, it's been eight, you know, in a, a Great eight-year run so far uh, of success that the program has had. Other than the people who you just touched on, what else makes the program itself run so well, be so successful? What do you think from your seat, you know, has led to that sustained success? You know, I think when you look at history, right, and you look at the history of Hofstra for decades and decades, there's been a ton of success at Hofstra. And um, you look at what people are doing um, across the campus within our department. I mean, you've got an all-in mentality in our department. You know, it, it's funny when people give me credit, I can sometimes kind of laugh because I mean, you guys know the truth. I mean, the, the doers are the ones that are, are, are in the, the doers are the ones getting really the heavy lifting done and all the work that's done in the weeds and behind the scenes. And everybody's all about you know supporting the Hofstra on the front of the jersey and whatever it takes, we'll try to do it in a, in a positive productive, good way. Um, and I think that's the sustainability that, you know, we try to be undefeated by every measure. It doesn't mean that we're going to be, but we try to be undefeated by every measure, whether that's game day operations, whether that's how we promote a game or whatever it's doing, we're doing, you know, everybody wants to win. Mike selling out every game. Right. Like as soon as we get back to selling tickets, Mike, your commitment and obligation to sell out every game. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, um, so, so I think, uh, I, I think there's proof in the people and, you know, a lot of schools I've been at talk about that, but Hofstra is a special place with special people that really care. So Rick, we, we won the championship in men's basketball on uh, Tuesday, November, uh, excuse me, Tuesday, March 10th. Um, can you talk about that immediate aftermath other than buying me dinner that night? Um, maybe what, what that first, Us. you know, uh, before, before obviously everything got canceled when we, we, believed we were dancing and dreaming about what that next two weeks is going to be like. What, what can you, can you talk people through what, as the AD, what that moment's like from 9 PM to maybe whatever time you went to sleep that night? Um, so, yeah. Um, it was pandemonium, right. And it was, you saw faces that were you had 80 year olds, 70 year olds, 60 year olds, 50, 40 year olds, 30 year olds, 20 year olds, kids, just elation you know, and, you know, you didn't have, nobody wanted to leave the court, right? Nobody, everybody just wanted to press pause and just really say, gosh, I mean, 
we had the leadership of the institution there. I mean, it was just amazing. And, you know, cutting down the net. And I, I get so much, um, I'm not, um, I get so much joy in watching people cut the net down. It's not something I think as an AD, I mean, certainly I cut a piece, but I love watching all the people that get to be a part of that, that work tirelessly so hard with, you know, cutting the net down to me also doesn't necessarily mean that's the measure of success. We do so many things really well at Hofstra. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, watching the, the, that moment where people had a moment and that special moment, um, it was just amazing. Um, if you haven't and, seen Christy Arnone's photo, it's the best one from that night. Yeah, but that's Chrissy, right? I mean, in all seriousness, like, you know, she's a women's soccer player, associate athletic director for marketing, has a lot of pressure in her job. She's a lot, she's really fun. She's all those things, but she just wants to win. And she was so happy for them. And, and that's really everybody, right? And, um, you know, so then that night, I mean, first of all, you can't get to your hundreds of texts, right, that come over that night. The whole next day, you're still answering them, right? And, you know, you got donors to deal with and supporters to deal with and staff to deal with. And, um, you know, we're just, it was such a, an amazing evening, one that we'll always remember. Um, and that's what I'm going to choose to remember about the, um, the 2020 championship. Um, I'm going to block out the disappointment and just really focus on the specialness of what that team did for Hofstra University. So, but the 2020 championship that we qualified for the NCAA men's basketball tournament, I believe was your fifth in six years that you've qualified for uh, as an athletic director. So what has been the, the hey, wait, catalyst? Mikey's, Mikey's counting, I think. I am. Four. No. Four and seven years. Four and seven? Four and no. seven. Still hey, hold on. Good. No, I'm sorry. One, two, Five three. and seven. Four, four and seven, three NITs. So what has led to, because I think anybody anywhere would sign up for that right now. Oh, the one thing I say to everybody is you don't take any one of them for granted because you never know when you're going to get back because winning is so, so, so hard. Right. And, you know, I've, you know, I've had a very good fortune of having two very good coaches coach basketball programs. So, you know, ADs often get too much credit um, and too much blame. Um, it's a collaborative effort and everybody's got to do that job. And we all got to be rowing in the boat in the same way from the manager to the coach, to the players, to the AD, to the president, um, you know, but it's special, you know, and, and I, t I said it to everybody at the time. I said, you know, you know, sometimes people, you know, when you, when you reach the NCAA, they look at the NCAA, NIT as a disappointment, you know, playing in the NIT or the NCAA as with our basketball programs for me for the last seven years. I mean, it's so fortunate. Um, so lucky and so much goes into that. And even though teams did great things, there's no guarantee you're supposed to, you're going to win. Right. So just really special, each one uniquely special. And I don't take one experience um, for granted, um, but as much as they wanted, I mean, it was just so awesome. Our, it was, our, our team was such a, was such a great group of young men. And uh, speaking of uh, success amongst Hofstra teams, there's, there's a team, when you speak about success, you have, you have, they're the first one that has to come to mind. And it's the women's soccer program and uh, head coach Simon Ridioff. Uh, I, the, the adjectives and the statements about Simon, uh, you could go on and on. Uh, oh, oh, you, you took over the, as the AD uh, and you immediately saw his success. What has the last couple of years been like watching him just continue this incredible run. 
Yeah, well, I mean, he's just, he's, he's off the charts, terrific coach, right? He knows who Hofstra is. He knows how to recruit it. He knows how to retain and attract great players, great people. He knows how to train. Um, it's not about Simon. It's about the program and his players. It's never about Simon. If, you know, I mean, you'll never hear him more, you know, excitable um, um, than when he's on the sidelines at times or training. But other than that, he's very unassuming. And um, it's just all about Hofstra, all about his athletes and all about what he can do to help his athletes and his program. But, I mean, he's just special. He's just a, an exceptional, exceptional coach. And we're lucky to have him. And we're hopefully going to have him for a very long time. Yeah, better better happen for a very long time. Right, yeah. amen. So, uh, Rick, now getting into this year. So, obviously, it's a, a unique situation. We've all you you mentioned it earlier. A new normal. That's the word being thrown around. Phrase being thrown around. So, the fall sports have already been postponed uh, for this year. Uh, normally, right now would be we'd be you know going up to a weekend where we have soccer at home, volleyball at home, field hockey at home. You know, just those great fall weekends that we host here. Uh, that's not the case right now. What is your message to the student athletes, our fans, the Hofstra community? What's your message about that situation? About the situation that, you know, hey, we're, we are in a, um, a unique year, right? And I do hope and pray that this is the only year like that. We knew that the last six months would be unique, this first 12 months and then the 12 months coming out, knock wood, you know, who knows with increased testing and, and inc possible vac vaccinations or treatments to the virus potentially. I, we don't know any of that, but we do know that we don't know everything, but we can anticipate that there will be different strides made medically to help us navigate through this. And the science will help us with that. You know, I think that, you know, we're going to be very busy in the spring, God willing, right? And it's going to be very busy. We're going to be working multiple games and, you know, possibly shortened seasons just because, just because, right? And, um, you know, basketball, the NCAA, hopefully will get more word in mid-September when they vote whether what the playing and practice season timeline will be. Um, and then we'll be able to plan accordingly. So, obviously, you know, the COVID-19 stuff we've talked about, Another national conversation right now is about uh, race, diversity. Uh, you know, it, it's an important conversation going on everywhere. Uh, we have uh, here in the athletic department created a diversity and inclusion committee. We've already had numerous initiatives uh, that have been great, in all honesty, uh, you know, that people have seen and that have gone on within the department with student athletes and staff. Why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, the diversity inclusion committee, uh, you know, and how you've, you've really led to empowering the athletic department to, to, you know, take action. Well, you know, it's, it, it, this is an ongoing um, issue and challenge and opportunity for, for all organizations specifically to that in higher education and creating an, a culture that is, you know, open and inclusive and, and having courageous conversation and, and having a, 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 um, an organization that invites people to talk and challenge and ask questions and know where to seek help and, and educate and um, hold people accountable to behaviors. And, um, you know, when we first got here, we started the diversity and inclusion training with staff, you know, three months after getting here, you know, um, during our first retreat. 
which began the conversation, right? So that's two years ago. And then we did training for our athletes, right? And then we, you know, we had the, um, Alyssa Morales-Kelly, who I asked to lead this initiative. Um, we got into it more than a year ago this fall about talking about long-term, we need to expand this. We need to look at a diversity inclusion committee that has students, athletes, and staff on this committee. And we can put together a, a program that is defined by our athletes and our coaches and our staff to begin dialogue and, and working on a culture that I believe needs to be worked on. Um, and then, so that started and then the pandemic hit and, and actually Alyssa got our, our, the committee together. We did Zoom meetings um, right or fairly early. I don't remember the exact date in the pandemic, but we started talking about some of the initiatives that we wanted to undergo. You know, which is including in the coming weeks, you know, I'm shifting, you know, Alyssa's, you know, scope of her job and her title to be our chief diversity, inclusion and compliance officer. Right. Like it's not just compliance because this is as important as anything, the good work she's doing. Um, now, that's not the exact title, but we talked about that last fall and said during the summer when we when we load the, the new programming. And then we just, you know, the 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 peaked recognition and spotlight that has been shined on the social injustices um, that continue um, and have continued for centuries, in my opinion, um, just provided us a greater platform to show, um, to ask ourselves, what are we doing? Are we doing good, doing good enough? Are we doing enough? What can we be doing? How do we listen better? How do I get better? I did a lot of learning, a lot, you know, and I'd like to think that I was productive in this, in this area. I looked at myself and said, you've got to be better. You've got to learn more. You, you know, you, you, everyone needs to be better. And we're having more real conversations than we ever have. And while I do think we're doing really good things, we want to make sure we're doing the right things and, and giving our student athletes a voice and a platform, giving our coaches and staff a voice and a platform to talk about the injustices and the experiences that they've had. So people become aware of what's going on around them and to support our, 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 our black student athletes and, and, you know, there are other areas of diversity and inclusion that we also will begin um, initiatives to make sure that we're, we're again, big, we're, we're trying to be the culture and, the, and program that we aspire to be. And that is going to take a lot of work all the time and not just, and not just today, but ongoing. And what I'm proud of is that we have this plan of, of so we can ensure that this programming conversations um, support is there throughout the year, not just once a year or, Hey, I did training, you know, we're doing multiple trainings for students, multiple trainings for, um, faculty, uh, for coaches and staff. We're doing multiple, um, workshops and forums, three forums, right. On zoom for now. Um, you know, and we're, I'm really, we're really getting close and we'll have the people that are doing the heavy lifting of this, that, that, you know, we've got a great campaign that's going to come forward to talk about a stance that we're going to have that starts in the locker room and, and, and works its way out. And I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about um, some of the other initiatives. And, and I think a great idea, um, Stephen, would be to have Alyssa and some of her committee members on one of these to talk in great detail about this injustice, inclusive of our student athletes. Yeah, great idea. And, and you kind of touched on it a couple times there, the empowerment of our student athletes and staff and it. It's really, it's been uh, amazing to see uh, student athletes, both at Hofstra and around the country, kind of uh, being leaders uh, uh, amongst in college athletics and something really uh, 
it, it's one of the positives out of this six month stretch of both the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and the social injustice that we have uh, seen uh, student athletes and staff become really empowered in who they are and who they can become. Uh, moving on, Rick, in the, uh, we obviously in the pandemic, we, uh, we've had to postpone our normal golf outing uh, and our Hall of Fame induction, but we've, uh, the, the development area has come up with a great idea for a virtual Hofstra Strong golf outing can you, can you touch on uh, maybe um, why now is so important uh, for people's support and people in the Hofstra community to support Hofstra athletics and how, and uh, as we move forward? Yeah, I think, I think why it's important, Stephen, is because now more than ever, we're going to need to support our student athletes and that's in the classroom, that's in athletics and it's in the, the wellness of, um, you know, the COVID um, protection and testing and education and all those things, there's a, you know, that's a, there's an expense that goes with that. Not to mention there will be, you know, revenue challenges and expense modifications. Um, so we're going to, we're, you know, we never feel shy and bashful about asking for support of our student athletes. And we're not going to start, we're not going to start feeling bad about that because we believe passionately in what the investment is worth for the incredible men and women that represent our program. So we're really excited about the virtual golf outing. I think it's an opportunity for people to support in a safe way and they can golf at their own courses and they can join us for a Zoom and we'll celebrate our, our kids and then we'll take it from there. But um, I think it's going to be an awesome opportunity. Yeah, you know, we have a lot of great ideas coming down the pipeline. So everyone obviously stay tuned. Uh, but, you know, to find out more about the virtual golf outing, go to gohofstra.com and everything's on the website. Uh, some really cool ideas going on there, some ways to support the, the, uh, the program, sponsor the event, as well as, you know, participate virtually, you know, playing golf on your own or with your own foursome. Uh, and then kind of finally on the, on the topic of, of, of that, you know, we've had a, a, you know, a summer where we've had a lot of successful alums, uh, you know, participating in pro sports. Uh, our, our last episode was Mike Scudin, who won the, uh, MLL championship. We had so many student athletes participating uh, in the PLL this summer in the bubble, Justin Wright Foreman uh, at the NBA bubble, you know, how has the success of, of the alumni, uh, you know, shown the need for that support? You know, how great has that been for the department to show moving forward? Um, you know, I, I think the support that we look for, um, um, with, let me press pause for a second. You look at the accomplishments of all the success of, of the people that you mentioned and, and the environments that they're in right now. It's, it's a, you know, a lot of our professional um, partners had this bubble mentality, right? That you're talking about, Mike, and right. their success is amazing. Our challenges and our, and, and, and our, our opportunity will be, how do we make this work, right? How do we make this work? Because as much as we try to, we're not, our, all of our student athletes throughout the country are not in a bubble. They're going to class, they're student athletes. You know, they're, you know, we want them to remain, you know, safe, wear a mask, socially distanced, but, you know, you'll see people when they walk into a building, they'll put the mask on, you know, but, you know, when they walk into a parking lot, they put, you know, onto campus, they'll put it on. We've got to continue that education because, you know, I'm less worried about what's happening on the court and the field as I am about just normal social activities that they don't think are going to impact or affect our success, right? So. I, I think positioning us for success, and I'm probably going in a different tangent, maybe Mike, than, than you wanted me to, but 
you know, for me, when I, when I see all the greatness of the people that we had on here right away in my typical short, you know, attention span of an ant mentality, I looked at how they were positioned for success. Um, I look at a Justin Wright Foreman. I look at the NBA model. I look at all those other guys, the, the, the lacrosse bubble that Coach Tierney just got back from. That's where my mind goes automatically of, of how do we keep people safe? Their success stories happen because of the efforts of so many others. Like, how do we do that for our athletes? So I apologize. I know that's probably not where you wanted me to go, but that's no, where- no, it's exactly what we, we want to talk about. And, and that was kind of a nice way to kind of recap and end and, and, and this. Um, we'll just transition to a couple of, you know, little lighthearted, quick answers, uh, you know, quick questions and answers. So the first one's going to be, you had to know it was coming. There's a, a small contingent of us Hofstra athletic staff members who count the West Wing as their favorite television show. Uh, so who's your favorite character on the West Wing? I got a lot. Okay, so let me rephrase it. Who's your favorite character on the West Wing and why is it CJ Craig? CJ's awesome. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, honestly, I, I liked I like all of them in different ways. What I, what I love about that show is that it talks about real issues and makes you think, right? And, it, and, it, and from the organizational behavior model, it's really exciting to watch. These are people that work tirelessly, that become that they're employees, that become like family, um, that challenge the heck out of each other. But there's a common thread of doing the right thing and, and working for their leader, which is all of our responsibilities. Um, but, you know, there's some, I mean, I'm laughing out loud, you know, when, um, when Rob Lowe gets chewed up by Ainsley on the thing. Oh, amazing. And, and the, you know, frickin' Frackle running to find the popcorn because, you know, he <laughs> just got get the popcorn. Yeah. And, and, but he never acts like that, but he, it's just, I just, it's just a great show and it's, it, you know, it really makes you think and it's engaging, but um, yeah. Well, I'm, not the, I'm not the uh, official. I mean, there's, there's at least two other people that, uh, you know, I'm, my, my name recognition in, in general is terrible, but I can watch West Wing seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Well, oh. it's, it's, it's oh. funny. Sorry, Stephen. So it's funny. You actually called me after one of your senior staff meetings to come in and said, look what I did. And you literally wrote, there was an episode of the West Wing where they had 100 days left. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, before the term ended for uh, the president and they wrote on a whiteboard a hundred days and then, you know, they just started listing everything they had. And you had literally called me in your office after a meeting just to open up the whiteboard and say, look what I did. Like yeah, I, watched, we, I watched the episode last night. It was perfect. There was a lot of organizational behavior things, as I said, on that show <laughs> that could help any organization. A lot of mistakes too, but a lot of good. <laughs> True. So, so these fun questions for us to be like quick answer, not 10 minute conversations Sorry. Sorry. on the Sorry. West Wing. You know, we're, we know your time's valuable, Rick, so we, we didn't want to take all day. But if you want to talk about West Wing all day, I'm sure you could. No, we're good. I'll be better. I'll be better. So, uh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, so we got a few more uh, quick questions as we're uh, wrapping up. Uh, I know the answer to this one, I believe. Uh, your favorite restaurant on Long Island? Um, uh, Menino's um, and Julio Cesare um, around the corner. Julio Cesare around the corner from Hofstra. Uh, I love Menino's in Oakdale as well. What did you think what, I was going to say, Stephen? Maureen's Kitchen? Oh, I'm, I apologize. You're correct. Um, I, <laughs> I was I like stunned. No, I immediately went to restaurant dinner. I'm sorry. Um, there's, there's nothing like Maureen's in America, you know. So, you know. Um, but those other two restaurants are, are, are my favorite dinner places. But Maureen's is the best place ever. 
Smithtown, Long Island, Terry Road. You will not, if you haven't <laughs> been there, you need to get there. No free ads. Uh, favorite, favorite pro sports team? New York Yankees. Oh, disappointing. Oh, great, great uh, answer. Fa- uh, personal sports highlight, yours, not the best moment of your, your sports career. Oh, you know, I think it was probably uh, my sophomore year in college. We, uh, we upset Cal Davis um, in the first round of the tournament. And, you know, there's this big 6'10 guy and we won. That was awesome. But anything to do with my college volleyball team is just uh, pretty special. What about the best sports moment you've witnessed for each of your three kids? Ooh. Well, for my daughters, they won the state championship. So watching them do that together was pretty awesome, you know. Um, so I'll, I'll leave that for the, the my daughters and my son. You know, he's just such the consummate team player, but it was pretty fun when you see them in the USA jersey. You know, it's pretty cool. Um, but just watching him play is, you know, it's, you know, one time when he was really young, he was playing on a U14 team and he was nine years old. And there was the best team at East Coast Championships. And they were playing a team from Puerto Rico. And this one kid was, I mean, like, they playing a little low in that. He's hitting like a man and just crushing the ball. It got to the point where the, the parents of the team from Puerto Rico were cheering for Trey because of the plays he was making. Because he was nine and he was a midget. He was so tiny, you know. Um, he could literally, like, walk onto the net. So that was one of my favorite moments is when you see the other team's parents cheering for your son as they're getting crushed. And uh, we'll, we'll end on this one. Uh, you can take it one of two ways. Either your favorite location on Long Island or your favorite beach on Long Island. Oh, that's a great question, Stephen. Ah, thanks. Me and Mike thought of that one. Favorite beach? Um, well, I grew up going out. To, um, my aunt's got this tiny little house in East Hampton, so I didn't know any better what the Hamptons were like growing up. And it was my aunt's house. Um, and again, she bought it in 73, but we used to go to um, uh, East Hampton Beach on Main Street, um, uh, it, which is a beautiful beach. Um, you know, you didn't know how good you had it when you were little, when you went out there. Um, love Robert Moses. Um, but there's a place, I live right off in Oakdale, so there's a place that you get right by the river. When we go for a walk there, and it just opens up. It's just beautiful. So I have unique... Uh, probably answer there well rick uh it's been a great uh chat with you to learn a little bit more about you personally your leadership here at hofstra and uh also your uh favorite restaurant on long island and the 20 minute (laughs) conversation about uh west wing but uh mike and i thank you immensely for your time and uh we wish you well all right be well we'll talk to you guys soon okay thanks rick thanks rick bye-bye Thank you for joining us today on Pridecast. Be sure to follow the Pride online at GoHoster.com and on social media. And stay tuned for more episodes coming soon. Go Pride.